Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. Welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I'm here with the wonderful Mark Homer, co-founder of Progressive Property, Progressive Success and a whole bunch of other stuff, I think, as well, isn't it, Mark? <laughs> Yeah, we do a few things. We've picked up uh, a few little uh, enterprises over the years. <laughs> well, we're going to get into all of that. We're going to talk about your business journey and uh, how everything sort of like has evolved. But can we kick off with your sort of journey in terms of where life started for you, how you've ended up here, and then we'll just kind of dig in from there, if that's all right. Yeah, so uh, I grew up in um, sort of early days was in Asia. Far East, um, and then I came back here when I was, uh, I don't know, about 12. And I went to sort of a traditional boarding school, um, and then uh, I started, you know, met people there. Their fathers had businesses. They were uh, very entrepreneurial, and I knew that's what I wanted to do. And sort of through my last years of school and university, I had a few little sort of small businesses, and then got into property maybe oh three, bought my first few bits that I shouldn't have bought, and then 05 started buying terraced houses and uh, and then sort of, you know, sort of grew from there, really. Yeah. Fantastic. So what did your dad do when, when in those early years when you were overseas? Okay, so my dad, um, he worked for a, se a whole series of um, governments and foreign consultancies. So uh, I think the last job that we were with him on was with working for British Petroleum, the chemicals division. They were setting up a big uh, sort of uh, polyethylene plant, which is plastic. Yeah. Because when you when you refine oil, you get polyethylene out, and then that's a byproduct of the process. So uh, the likes of BP set up a, a factory to make plastic, which comes from oil. Mm. Um, so he developed the training division. There were three thousand people they needed to train, and he sort of set that up and ran it for them and all that sort of stuff. Wow. Um, and then I think the job prior to that was with um, Hoff and Overgaard. It was a uh, sort of Dutch consulting company and they were building um, sort of, I think, a, a really long road right across Indonesia um, for the um, Indonesian government. But the money, I think the money with that maybe came from the Asian Development Bank or maybe... Yeah, may, maybe the World Bank, and and therefore they always put these consultants in there. They're like project managers to make sure primarily the money doesn't get nicked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, there's good value for money, you know, sort of in terms of the contractors and and making sure that they're um you know it, 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 that they're doing what they've been paid for and there's a, a proper bidding process and all that sort of stuff. So he'd be quite technical in that, but he would um, be running the, the training and, and, and all that sort of element. And then sort of prior to that, I don't know, he had loads of jobs in Asia and um, and before that in, in Africa as well. Um, you know, one of them was setting up loads of MOT testing stations. So in Indonesia, they didn't have any really MOT system. So 
he brought a delegation over for uh, a load of in Indonesian sort of junior ministers and they went to California. He, he decided these were the three, three best places because he started in the automotive industry. So he sort of went, right, California, we're, going, we're definitely going to Germany because they're the best. And um, they were the best at everything for him. And, uh, and then here, uh, and they looked at the, um, the standards for uh, MOT testing or their equivalents in those three countries. And then the Indonesians took it all back and then decided what all of their standards were going to be. And then started, he started setting these, um, these testing stations up with them uh, in Indonesia. I'm sure they, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> I can imagine how. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, they'll have been testing some of them, and some of them they'll have just been paying bribes. I mean, that was just sort of how, how it operated there, really, yeah. My God, bonkers. So, God, I mean, your dad had some fascinating jobs then, and, and, and I guess you as a family, you, you know, you, you moved around, aren't you, a lot? Yeah. Uh, almost like military yeah. families to a certain yeah. degree in that sense. So what was it like as a kid going through all of that? Because was it, was it difficult at home? You know, was there a lot of uncertainty? Off to the next country, the next kind of assignment or, or Not, how, how was it in reality? That didn't, I, I suppose that didn't really bother me until we had to come back to England. Um, all the times before that, I, I, I was quite young, didn't, didn't really bother me that much. But I think, I mean, he was sort of traveling around and then he'd go away for quite a while and then he'd come back. And I think my first, uh, I was born in Singapore and we, we were in sort of Surabaya, which is in Indonesia for a while, but I was sort of very young. And then I came back to school in England. So my first sort of, posting abroad would have been when I was eight mm. um, with that sort of Dutch um, company and um, y you know it was yeah it was always three or four years and and he would you know in the final year be like oh am I going to get another job or we're going to have to leave Indonesia I, I do remember that um, but then obviously he, he'd get another one and he'd get another contract with I don't know somebody else or whatever but you get to learn loads of stuff about different people I, I spoke uh Jawa, which is um, the sort of uh, one of the dialects in Indonesia, and I spoke Bahasa Malay, which um, I sort of grew up with. With the um, we used to call them servants. I don't know if you're allowed to call them that anymore. And I'd sort of be outside with them, sort of living with them a lot of the day. Um, and then um, you know, you, you you know, in Africa as well. I'd, I went to Tanzania with him in Sierra Leone, um, and actually early years we were in Sri Lanka for a bit in Colombo. Um, as well so you just get to see the world and you get to see that actually this thing that goes on here I mean you know yesterday and the day before we were just a perfect example of um, you know I'll be controversial now but as far as I'm concerned the nonsense that goes on in this country um, you know we, we we'd live in 40 45 degree heat for um, you know in lots of countries for maybe a reasonable portion of the year um, my stepfather, who does similar to what my dad used to do, he lived in 30 countries. And I discussed this with him a few days ago. And, and he just said, you know, I'd have been, uh, you know, driving, I'd, I'd, I'd have been trekking through uh, Rhodesia, you know, with a, a massive bag on my back and a rifle on my back and it'd be 42 degrees. You know, what, what, what's the big problem? I know there's old people and people, vulnerable people that need to be kept. But the, my point is that the media seem to have this sort of control over us, um, over, you know, um, and we saw it through the pandemic. Yes, there were there were people uh, getting ill and, 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 and there were people dying. And, but um, we, 
I think the, the, the government and the media, uh, you know, and, and, and to a large extent, the population of this country submitted to this this sort of um, brainwashing. Mm. You know, that, that that's what it is. And when you live in different countries around the world, you you realise how small-minded and and myopic uh, people can be in this country. Yeah. Um, certainly on sort of uh, you know global events and um, you know a lot of international sort of global political stuff you you see maybe Russia Ukraine um, you know although I, I do support the government's position on that but if you look uh, at, at lots of other stuff we assume that you know the way we think about stuff is is is, is the only way and the right way but it's complete nonsense there's 75 million people in this country and you know several billion around the world and they think completely different things and um you really need to go traveling and live in other places to, to realize what the world is like. I mean, you see, you talk to, I don't know, somebody about going on a holiday in the Middle East. Oh, this is going to happen. That's going to happen. <laughs> most of it's just absolute nonsense. Yeah. Um, and um, you see it with um, kids that go away on a gap year for a year. They come back and they're completely different and they get the, uh, the, the, the sort of brainwashing and manipulation that, that goes on. Yeah, Here. I think I think yeah. it's the best thing you can yeah. do is to have to spend time in other countries yeah. and and really understand different cultures because I think it really makes you a far higher emotional intelligence. Yeah. Do you know what I mean in general? Yeah. Um, and and I guess I don't know. Have you found that when you actually came back to the UK, yeah. having had all those you know really quite eye-opening experiences? I'm sure and spending yeah. time with people that you just viewed the world quite differently. You, you were much more attuned to kind yeah. of being able to respond to people more flexibly and more sensitively so. and. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely helps you to deal with people right across the spectrum and of different cultures. And yeah, you're more sensitive to different viewpoints and you realise that uh, what you're being fed isn't the only way. Mm. Um, but um, I don't know, it just, yeah, I just find it, I find it um, really, really nuts um, how, I mean, certainly when you come back and you you start talking to people you, you realize um that you know the, they just need to go away they need to go abroad and they need to go and see the rest of the world yeah. uh, and then they'll probably have a, a much more valuable um sort of view and 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 set of um set of tools to use in business and in their relationships um and in their sort of de dealings with various things around the world you know? mm -hmm. could you see yourself living overseas again do you think i mean obviously you've been in yeah. the uk now since well since you were 12 so yeah. i won't say ask how old you are mark but for a while you've been yeah. over here could yeah. you see yourself living overseas or i, I or could no? yeah um and for a couple of reasons uh, in fact three reasons um i get pretty bad sad during the winter mm -hmm. uh, so i don't i often don't feel great uh, as probably october through to february uh, is is pretty bad for me um, and, you know, I, I, I don't sleep as well during that period and um, I just don't get enough vitamin D. So I have to go away quite a lot. But, you know, that wears off after a week. Mm. Uh, and, uh, you know, so living in a, a sunnier climate, you know, I, I that would be massively beneficial to my winters. Yeah. Um, the second thing is uh, I am pretty fed up with paying the amount of tax that we do. Yeah. Uh, and the only real way to save, you know, proper money, uh, you know, in terms of tax, uh, is to clear off uh, mm. and, and be away for, I don't know, it's three, four months of the year, something like that, depending on your circumstances. 
Um, and, and the third thing is what we've just been discussing. Um, mm. You know, it's, um, it's, it's a lot more interesting to, to, to go and live in other places. Gemma and I sort of said to each other at some point, we probably want to go and hire a villa um, in maybe a different place every three months. Yeah. We'll probably do that for, I don't know, maybe... Uh, I don't know, maybe have a year or two just doing that. I could highly uh, recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> Having done, done that, that ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We had, I mean, when the, when the whole pandemic happened, yeah. Chris and I were in Mallorca and we'd gone over for a month and we said, yeah. oh, sod this, let's just stay. And, Why we, would and you we, not? Just, we just moved around yeah. an Airbnb yeah. and we had a wonderful yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> but it is having that freedom and choice and flexibility is obviously yeah. key, isn't it, really? Of course but, it is. Yeah, but why would you want to? own one place when you could actually just have different experiences yeah. around the world so yeah. now i'm with you on that i think that could be cool so watch this space when mark ends up you never know um so let's talk about when you came out of uni then and you said you were you you knew what you wanted to do you wanted to be an entrepreneur you wanted to be a business owner was that clarity just like was it a light bulb moment or was it just because you'd grown up in sort of quite an environment of, yeah. of entrepreneurism and, and you just sort yeah. of gradually came to the realization that that was the path you were going to take yeah I, I mean it through you know even when i was in asia obviously i was you know i was at the british international school there and i, I was Although all the parents were sort of often employed by big oil companies or consulting companies or whatever, I was very attracted to, you know, making money and, you know, none of my dad, none of his mates paid any tax, you know, and, and, and he didn't for something like 35 years, something like that. Mm. So you could live much better. Mm. Um, and of course, the company was paying the school fees and all this sort of stuff. So they, whilst he, um, you know, didn't earn anything like what you would if you had your own business, um, he lived more like a business owner, yeah. uh, even though he was extremely tight. I mean, tight beyond belief, but that was because often he didn't have to spend his own money. He, the company would just sort of pay yeah. for everything because you're there. And then, of course, when he came back to England, it, it caused major problems. Um, <laughs> um, but, um, you know, so I was sort of exposed to that. And certainly in, in Asia and, you know, Indonesia and Singapore and all that, you know, you'd you'd see, you know, my dad had been mates with, I don't know, there was one guy with a plane and there was another with a boat. And we never had that stuff. And I was so attracted to it all. Mm. Um, and then when I came back at 12 and went to boarding school, it just sort of developed. And then I could see the route to getting that stuff because mm. um, there was so many of my mates' dads who had these big businesses uh, and they were making loads of money and they had all that stuff. Um, so it just sort of grew through the years and then I really at boarding school I got specifically the tools just by sitting down and listening to their dads um, to, to actually go and start these little businesses they'd encourage it they'd encourage us to go and buy stuff and sell it when we got back and you know all sorts of stuff like that and yeah so it just sort of grew from there. It's, a, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's such a, uh, an influence of who you're spending time around. Yeah. I mean, I know we talk about it a lot and, and what have you in terms of mentors, informal or informal, yeah. but it sounds to me like you almost learn as much from the parents of the kids that you were at school at as, as the formal education side of I, it. I definitely did. Um, and that's one of the reasons that um, I'm absolutely sure that Freddie will go to a, a really good um, school where... You know, I feel like the other parents uh, probably are business owners. And mm. in, in fact, I know where he's going to go to prep school, you know, and I've, I've, I've sort of worked out that 
I think, I hope I'm right, you know, the, the, the kids that he'll be mixing with will have a similar entrepreneurial outlook. Their parents will be business owners. Um, and, um, you know, even more than the academics, um, I, I think in mixing with those people will push him on to, you know, be more successful. That, mm. you know, that, that's what worked for me. So uh, I want to give that to him. And, you know, I'll, I'll, after that with secondary, it'll be the same thing. And, you know, I want him to do well academically and 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 i'll definitely you know i'll try and encourage him to go through university but you know at least 50 percent of the story is who he's mixing with yeah um and you know it certainly opened my mind um and um you know i, I think paying for the right education to open your child's mind to get them mixing with the right people mm-hmm. uh is is, is half of the game, you know, and the other half is maybe the academic stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. And actually, it's never too late, is it? Because you can always be learning. It doesn't matter, you know, yeah. I mean, look at look at the business you, you and Rob have created here in terms of the property education business yeah. and progressive success. You know, so actually, you must see a lot of people come through these doors that maybe they're, at, maybe they're on the third or the fourth kind of career phase, if you like, and they're yeah. learning a lot of this stuff from yeah. scratch. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I'm on my second career because, you know, I finished university and my dad just said, you need to get into a management training scheme you know this is what you know I've seen them come through the big companies I've worked for and their graduate training scheme that's what they do and they go shoot straight to the top so that's what I did and I I went and worked for a a sort of beef uh, fresh meat company the biggest in Europe and I did uh, about two years on their graduate training scheme going around all their factories Mm -hmm. Uh, but I was basically involved in red meat beef and um, you know what's i suppose it's i learned lots of business functions sales production buying you know transport all that sort of stuff which in some ways is relevant to this but yeah i'm on my second career already yeah Yeah. (laughs) will be interesting what will be the third career though mark i don't think i want one i don't i i'm I'm, i i'm really um you know i think i'll I'll carry on with property uh you know for the rest of my life um in fact um rob had a, a good idea for a book uh, and that's sort of the title is relevant to this. Um, it was something like buy property, wait, die. Um, why, why would you ever sell it? Yeah. yeah and yeah. Why, why would you ever come out of it? And that's my attitude. Yeah. I, I, um, the perpetual nature of it. Yeah. Um, is great you just got to keep building the income stream and let's talk about the business today then because of course you said you started off buying the little terraced houses and you did a lot of them and you're doing that on your own at that point weren't you mark that was before you and rob kind of got together as a team yes so so obviously that was the early start but in terms of what you've created i mean it is phenomenal um and i know you're very humble so you don't kind of blow your own trumpet too much but talk about the scale of the business because anyone listening is probably thinking well bloody hell it's all right for you, but you did start with one terraced house. I did. In fact, I started with a um, a little ski chalet, a ski flat, excuse me, in Bansko in Bulgaria, um, which was a disaster. And, and I don't know, two or three villas in Florida, which were equally disastrous. Uh, but, you know, what what really started working was little terraced, one terraced house. I know where it, where it is, still got it, that uh, I started buying here in Peterborough. Um, you know, after that, I, I started, you know, doing the same again and again because it, it sort of worked so well, refurbishing them, remortgaging them, renting them out. Um, and, yeah, I, I, you know, we, we grew that into a sort of buying business. I think we maybe did about 400 of those 450 terraced houses. 
um, you know, probably done about a, a thousand deals, you know, across the whole time. After that, I started developing, um, convert, primarily converting um, pubs, private members club, offices, retail into um, apartments and into sort of cluster flats. So probably developed about 600,000 square foot of, of space. Um, and um, yeah, I, uh, I don't know, our own sort of portfolio is about 37 million now, 360 tenants. Um, we, we manage and have shares in, um, you know, equity shares in, uh, there's about 1,100 properties we manage and then in um, a reasonable portion of those we have equity shares in them. Mm -hmm. So you could sort of say some of those are our properties as well. Um, and then, um, yeah, and obviously we have a training business. I don't know, there's maybe 60, 70 people working in there um, and a um, letting agency. I think there's 10 or 11 people working in there. Um, and obviously, yeah, that's that's sort of most most of the business. Yeah. Not too shabby then. Not too shabby. No, but seriously, when you look back, do you feel really proud of what you've created, or do you are you always on to the next thing, and you never really stop and kind of go? Actually, I've done a bloody good job here. Actually, the last six months I have um, sort of stopped because um, we we came through you know really tough time in the pandemic because our live training business had to shut. Uh, we were online, but you know that didn't fix everything. Uh, Anna was in the middle of, um, you know, a major project in the middle of town, trying to develop, you know, there was, I don't know, 70 men on that site. And we ended up having to build it ourselves right through sort of lockdowns and everything like that. So, you know, I worked in, you know, the stress levels and the intensity that I worked to during those two years, um, you know, was was really heavy. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, I, I just sort of promised myself when I got to the end of it that um, I was going to take stock and 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 just I mean like gathering those numbers I've just given you mm -hmm. I didn't even know what they were exactly because um, I hadn't stopped enough to work it out specifically but I have now yeah, um, yeah. Um, and um, yeah so I am going through a bit of a period like that and I'm I'm doing a good tidy up and I'm taking cost out of the portfolio and and working on efficiencies and all that sort of stuff um and um yeah it, it um have that's what i've been doing the last few months taking stock yeah and um and in, improve it yeah improving the efficiencies and working the rents out and doing some refurbs i should have done before putting solar panels on everything that's what i'm doing at the moment and um controls heating controls in all the rooms because obviously all the electricity and gas has tripled probably going to might quadruple in fact i've got a farmer it's gone up 500 percent his wow. electricity bill next year will be 500 percent more than in 2019 so um you know that's a, quite a big focus for me i, I think our power bill is going to go up about 200 250 grand a year um but by the end of this year, so I've got to do so. Well, I'm in the middle of doing something, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. So, yeah, so obviously take stock, tidy things up, yeah. and then probably think about what's the next thing after that. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just talk about the big project you finished in town. Yeah. And we, Chris and I were lucky enough, so you took us on site, um, I think yeah. twice actually, I think we came yeah. on site. Um, so it was great to see that in the middle yeah. and, and kind of what you've created now. 
Um, when you look back on that project, I remember you and I having a conversation. You said, "Oh my God, I'm not sure I could do another one." <laughs> it's been a hell of a hell of a journey for that particular project. So, what what were the big sort of takeouts when you reflected on that project? You know, what went well? What things would you do differently? Um, I, yeah, I, um, <laughs> do you need to so lie much. down? <laughs> no, no, there's so much. I mean, um, you know, I, I definitely benefited. We benefited from building it ourselves. Um, that wasn't my initial intention, uh, but we were sort of pushed into that. Um, and, um, you know, having a brilliant team, so, you know, a, a good contracts manager, a QS, all those sorts of people around me, that changed a lot with that mm. project um, and took a lot of sort of cost out and, you know, issues with, I don't know, you know, getting ahead and, you know, the, 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 the continuous struggle with, main contractors or subcontractors where they you, you're basically paying more money than you know than than work has been completed and then they go bust or then they've got control of you and all that sort of stuff so um you know there's a lot of benefit in doing that and i would uh, i'd probably do that again where i wouldn't use a main contractor in fact at the moment the way costs have gone mm. if i did a big project like that's probably the only way i could do it around here because right. main contractors would just be too much money yeah um Materials have gone up since Brexit, Sterling's weakened, and then, you know, materials have gone up even more through the pandemic. And, and you know, we've seen what's happened, you know, in the last sort of six months, year as well. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's a, a pretty big sort of take out. Um, you know, we knew this before. We know this now even more. Multiple streams of unrelated income are so valuable. Um, you know, you need to diversify into multiple unrelated income streams. Uh, and, you know, the pandemic was a perfect example. You know, we've got a, a reasonable chunk of our money coming from a training business. Mm. Um, it gets partially shut. Uh, clearly, there's no money to come out. In fact, Rob and I are there putting money into it. Yeah. Um, you know, who, who would have predicted that? They, they wouldn't have done. Our rental portfolio did really well. Mm. Um, you know, the... To be fair, the development business, although it was very worrying at one point, it looked like Boris was going to shut the um, development sites, they didn't shut. And, and actually, as long as you got stuff in contract, that was fine. If I decided that a year on, the cost would have got right out of control and, and would, would have been a major issue. So my point is, you know, in the previous recession, um, you know, the training business, we were just starting it. It did really well because mm. people wanted to learn how to do stuff they were you know, a point where they needed to sort of change, um, you know, and, and finance went wrong and lots of people's portfolios went wrong because banks tried to demand money back. So it was yeah. quite, it was very different last time to what it was this time. And the point is, if you've got different types of businesses with diversified income streams, when things go wrong, some will do okay and some won't, mm. but you'll still have the money from the ones that are, are doing okay. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and, and always... Keep a good capital base. You know, I know cash is eroding at maybe 10% a year at the moment, but you need cash, you need equities, and you need property. And, you you know, you, you need to have a, a stable um, sort of asset base of those primarily three things. And, I don't know, maybe some small amount of Bitcoin and things like that um, to sort of navigate these challenges. Mm. Uh, because if you can navigate the bad times the good times are usually just look after themselves yeah. the people get killed in the bad times and that's that's what ruins everything yeah. uh so just navigate the bad times 
protect the downside and the upside will look after itself. Yeah, yeah. no, that's really good advice. And, and you know, through that time, there's obviously a lot yeah. of stress going on in yeah. your life. And you mentioned earlier around kind of sleep being yeah, a, yeah. a bit of a challenge for you yeah. sometimes. So when you get stressed, how yeah. does it show up for you, Mark? You know, well, sleep, sleep is an in initial issue, definitely, for me. I, I won't sleep as well when I'm stressed. And that's mm. one of the things I've sort of promised myself that, you know, you know, as I get into more things, I won't go back to that position where, you know, I'm, I'm obviously a little bit of stress is good, but not too much stress where, because if I'm not sleeping, I'm not particularly good anyway for anybody. Um, I suppose, um, you know, if I don't eat, then I'll tend to eat. Sorry, if I don't sleep, I'll tend to eat more uh, mm -hmm. and then I'll put on weight. That sort of stuff generally happens for me. And that happens in the winter every year. You know, I'll put weight on and then I'll lose it in the summer, probably because I'm not sleeping as well yeah. during the winter because I'm not getting as much vitamin D. It's all sort of linked. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, my decision won't be as good because then I'll come in, I haven't slept, so my mind is nowhere near as good when I haven't slept as, mm. as when I have. Um, yeah, and, I, you know, I, just, I, I mean, I had a whole sort of period of it because we... we had a baby and that was, you know, sort of lack of sleep. And then, you know, he's, he's only three now. So he was born in 2019 and then we had the pandemic and then we had the, you know, and it's just so, just sort of having a sort of quite, you know, a nicer time now. You, you need know? a purple yeah. patch now, yeah. yeah. So be kind to yourself yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. And you, um, when you were, when you were like having all your, well, you still have your, your challenges with sleep, but I remember yeah. you saying you read a really good book. Yes. that changed things for you? Because I think yeah, a lot of brilliant. people struggle with sleep. Amazing. So do you want to just mention that? Yeah, that's, that's if I can remember the, the <laughs> name of the book, I can't. Um, so the author is Mosley. Uh, he's a doctor. Um, I need to get the, the, in fact, if I borrow your phone, I'll, I'll be able to find it, but I need to get the name of it. I can't remember the title. But uh, Mosley, yeah, he's, um, he's brilliant. He's on TV a lot. He doesn't just talk about sleep. He talks about diet and all sorts of stuff like that. And um, I mean, the critical things for me that, have really helped um, number one I exercise every day anyway but mm. um, you know just continue doing that um, number two um, by seven o'clock finish uh, make sure I've finished all the food I'm gonna have so yeah. don't eat after seven o'clock um, don't look at my phone after nine o'clock if I'm gonna get into bed at ten mm. go to bed and get up the same time every day so even at the weekends that changed a lot for me on a, on a Saturday and Sunday, I can get up at the same time as I would do in the week and go to bed. At the, obviously, I'll have one night maybe where I go out or maybe have a few glasses of wine or whatever. But I really try not to because routine is so important. Mm. I went away a couple of weeks ago to Ireland, a huge event. There was, I don't know, nine out of the ten golfers, in you know, the best golfers in the world. And Tiger Woods, you know, at the dinner afterwards, he, he presented and Westlife played and all this sort of stuff. And, it was great, uh, and I was sort of felt I should sort of stay up, and <laughs> some of them carried on till eight in the morning. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> I managed to stay up till I don't know three. Oh my god! That's um, bad. Went to bed, and I think my sleep was ruined for ten days. Wow! Yeah, um, that is the effect that uh, a break in routine has, and I'm just getting back into it now. Amazing! It's massively detrimental effect on me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think Which a lot. Is, I think a lot of it is about being self-aware as well, isn't it? And being kind of in tune know with what your to body, do. yeah. Um, watching out for yeah. the signs. Which yeah. is why I'll always just try and um, dart away and get to bed and sort of be quiet after I don't know, maybe eight thirty, nine o'clock, mm. and then be hopefully asleep by 
10 o'clock. Mm. And then um, something else I've started doing, I just developed this myself. I always often, uh, now I can often get to sleep. That's fine as long as I do those things. Yeah. But I will wake up early in the morning. And if I wake up at 4 or 5 a.m., it's really random, but it seems to work. What I do now, I put my earphones in and I listen to an audio book. Um, and that just seems to be able to get my mind off maybe thinking about going to sleep or whatever. Yeah. And I seem to drift off again. Okay. Um, that, that really works. I mean, at the moment, I'm listening to all these um, Tom Bauer books. Um, they're really good. Um, they're all about, um, you know, some big hitters. So I've listened to one about sort of Richard Branson. Now I'm on the Bernie Ecclestone one. Um, and it's, it's almost like the unauthorised biography. So um, you get the... Um, thank you, cheers. Um, you get with a lot of them uh, the sort of sanitised um, PR version yeah. of their lives. Um, I've found that less and less interesting over the years. Um, what I really want to know is um, what they've uh, really got up to and how they've really made their money. Yeah. And this bot, uh, this chap, Tom Bauer, has gone round and dug into these guys, interviewed all the people around them and all their sort of ex-business associates and all that. Uh, you can imagine how many times they've tried to serve all these people. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, the, the amount of quotations and, and, and references in the back of the book is absolutely massive. And, and he's done one he's done one on Tony Blair, on Boris, yeah, Richard Branson, Ecclestone, um, Mohammed Al-Fayed. He's done one on um, um, uh, Maxwell. Uh, absolutely fascinating. And I'm just sort of working my way through it. I mean, Bernie's the sort of favourite at the moment. He's just, um, I'd find, in many ways, he's a lot more honest than a lot of the others because he just tells you what he does. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Whereas a, a, a lot of the others, um, I, you know, I, I just find it so hypocritical. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. So so let's just talk a bit about your partnership with Rob yeah. because that's, um, that seems to be a winning formula. Mm -hmm. I'm sure sometimes you have moments where you drive each other crazy and want to kill yeah, not, each other. Not for quite a while, actually, but that, yeah, every now and again that sort of happens, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, I mean, you are really different um, in terms of your style, your personality, yeah. what, you, what you like focusing on in yeah. the business and stuff. So how does it work? What's the, what, where does the magic come with you two, then, that, that works for, yeah. for, for you? Well, because we're so different, we're good at completely different things. So we help each other, um, you know, to, in, in so many ways to create a, a better business. So, you know, I'll, I'll be dealing with, I don't know, finance and I'll be dealing with money and I'll be dealing with um, all, you know, largely the property stuff and the yeah. development stuff and, um, you know, you know, legal stuff. All, all that side is, is usually what, you know, I'll be doing what I'll be good at. And um, all the stuff that I'm rubbish at, which would be, I don't know, you know, or maybe not rubbish, but certainly nowhere near as good as Rob. You know, you know, sales, marketing, um, you know, creating a, a, a sort of better business strategy for the training business. Mm. Um, managing people, neither of us would say that's our sort of strong point. Um, but that's why, you know, we, we, we sort of have really good managing directors in mm. our, our different businesses and they're, they're good people managers. Mm. Um, and... Um, yeah, Rob will, Rob will create, you know, a huge marketing plan or a sales process or, you know, he'll see, a, 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 you know, obviously all his social media stuff, you know, his presentation skills, all of that stuff um, is of massive benefit to me. And I hope 
the stuff that I'm good at is a huge benefit to him and we, we don't really tread on each other's toes if it's if it's in our area or the you know each one of our mm. um, respective areas then usually we just go with the decision you know of, of, of you know if, if it's anything to do with selling or marketing or you know running events you know that's Rob's decision mm. um, you know and the other stuff is usually my decision yeah how was it in the early days when you first kind of got together I mean did it take a while to get to that sort of position where you, you know you recognize each other's strengths yeah. and you carve out a, yeah. you know, a bit more I think we were following each other around um, maybe trading each on uh, on each other's toes for the first few months and we, we did actually draw a, a hierarchy mm. um, it was a book um, I'm trying to remember the bloody name again um, but anyway, it'll come to me. Um, it's a great book, and uh, it, it's all about creating all of the roles that you need in your business on, on a sheet of paper, drawing hierarchy. Mm. And if there's only two of you in the business, you just write your names on each sort of function, or yeah. you know, so that you know who's responsible for what, and it just goes on the wall. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that was that was a pivotal moment uh, yeah. saves a lot of time and um, generates a lot of value yeah i mean it's like, it's the old racy isn't it I, I use i've used them over the years who's responsible accountable consultative yeah. informed and it yeah. just cuts away a lot of the like the noise and, yeah. and confusion and, and in particular i find in as, as organizations grow you end up with a lot of politics coming in and a lot of jockeying for position yeah. and power and stuff. And actually, yeah. sometimes you just need to step back and go, right, actually, who's yeah. only one person can have the A. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. who's that going to be? Um, so I've used that a lot over the years yeah. with teams that I've run. Um, so, so when you first met Rob, talk us about the romance. Talk us about the, about the first date. I think we met at a networking event. Um, and it was a sort of a property networking event. And Rob started talking to me about properties i think maybe overseas stuff and I, I i at first we didn't say very much but then he asked asked me a few specific questions um and yeah and then we just sort of learned more he you know I, I taught him more and more about it and then um i was working for a guy who was selling new build sort of overseas stuff and um we i persuaded him to give rob a job because Basically, I'd given Rob, I don't know, three or four books, and he went away and read them all in mm. like a week. I'd never even seen that before. Um, so he just came in selling on the phone. Um, and um, we then got to work together. Maybe we worked together for six months. And it, it became pretty clear that, um, you know, he was good at a load of stuff that I wasn't, and I was good at stuff, hopefully, that he wasn't. Yeah. Um, and we probably had a business. So... Yeah, six months together, you know, working together, we, we learned that. And then you left you left there and set up on your own then, mm. essentially. Made, yeah, exactly. Made yeah. the move. Yeah. Was that was that a quite an easy decision for you? Because given your background and that you always knew you wanted to be a business owner, yeah. was that sort of... It, it, it wasn't. It was more Rob that pushed that. Um, okay. Yeah, because although that's probably what I wanted, I would be more the, the sort of cautious type that would be, well, let's test it and... <laughs> You know, whatever, and we'll, we'll we'll have a plan over the next two years and all that sort of stuff, and maybe that day never comes. Yeah. Um, whereas, um, yeah, Rob forced a, a pretty spectacular situation, uh, as he has done a few times in the past. Um, and, um, yeah, we ended up uh, sort of on our own. We, um, I don't know what happened. Rob had put some plan together, as he normally does, you know, right, this is what we're going to do. And, you know, it was... Um, 
we need two desks, we need two computers, <laughs> we need this and this, and you know, he'd done this. And I, I think our old boss found it, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? And he, he came in one day and said, you're sacked, and, and you can tell what he said. No, he said to me something like, you're sacked, and you tell Robbie's fired. <laughs> <laughs> and that was so, it. But it was a yeah. push that is a push that you needed then to just crack on. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, it would have happened anyway because Rob was obviously chomping at the bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about um, about sort of what well the economy and and because obviously we can't have a conversation without getting your views on how yeah. you think things are going to play out. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot of noise right now in terms of leadership contests and all the rest of it. High inflation, interest rates, all this kind of stuff. And I know you, you, you're, you love all that, so you're all over it. So what are your thoughts around kind of how things are going to play out next 12, 12 months, 24 months? What, what are your thoughts? Well, it's very uncertain and nobody really knows whether... Um, obviously, inflation is running at, say, 10%, and there's still a load of sort of gas, oil, you know, and other inputs which have gone up a lot. Um, which I suppose sparked this along with, because of course this started before Ukraine, yeah. um, you know, very, very high demand, a little bit like as we came out of this, the Second World War, um, but not enough supply because businesses had been shut yeah. and, you know, there, there weren't enough goods and services to, to keep up with demand, which mm. creates inflation. So, of course, the risk, and, and it started happening, is that that, initial surge of inflation which of course the bank of england was saying oh it's transitory it's because of all those factors mm -hmm. then becomes embedded in the psychology and the pricing decisions of businesses um and you know the the, the wage demands of workers you know yeah. we're, we're seeing um i don't know train drivers royal mail we're seeing you know baggage handlers and different staff at heathrow and airports demanding you know much higher than usual pay increases mm. um, and as those employers uh, give in uh, and award those pay increases it then creates more and more of a vicious circle which yep. then means next year you're in line for another five or ten percent inflation whatever it's going to be or you know inflation way above the two percent target which is obviously what what they the bank of england is mandated to get back down to so um, we're already in that, we're, or we're getting into it. So interest rates are going to have to go up, and they're going to have to go up a lot. And the market has um, already seen that. And in the last three months, uh, the, the, um, the market indications are that the, the, the markets believe that by the first quarter of next year, UK base is going to get to three and a quarter. You know, at the moment, we're at one and a quarter, yep. um, which is a massive increase. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... it's I don't know, two and a half times more than, you know, yeah. what it is at the moment. Um, so who knows how high that gets? You know, the chief executive of Lloyds doesn't think we can get there because, of course, debt levels are much higher than they mm. were, say, in the 90s. Um, and, and the point is, as you push interest rates up, demand and uh, growth will naturally drop. And, you know, along with that, clearly inflation should drop. So who knows where that point is that they can't get any further and if they overshoot and go too far mm. then we end up in a recession where yeah. gdp the size of the economy starts getting smaller mm. which is uh, a very real probability a very real possibility by the end of this year so yeah. i think ey think we're just going to miss that and we're not going to go into a recession um but 
you know, I think there's a, a reasonable li likelihood that we, we will do, even, even if it's just a shallow one. So mm. um, who knows? I don't think the Bank of England know how much they need to put interest rates up yeah. to to nip this in the bud. But the Federal Reserve is, is going not. I mean, they're talking at the next meeting. Obviously, there's a meeting once every three months. The Federal Reserve would normally stay stay as they are or go up or down 0.25%. Yeah. The next meeting... There's talk of them increasing 1% in one meeting. Um, and, and the Bank of England, I think it was yesterday or the day before, uh, the governor said that um, it's likely that the Bank of England will be voting on whether to increase UK base by half a percent in one meeting. Yeah. Um, so I think the likelihood of interest rates going up is very high. Um, you know, who knows whether we end up in recession or not and who knows how far they can push interest rates before um you know there are there's some very serious consequences uh i mean consumer confidence has already dropped you know hugely because you know this will have an effect won't it if gas prices and electricity prices and petrol prices are going up mm. that much consumers there then have that much less to spend on other products so you would have thought that would keep a cap on price you know prices to st some extent um you know, other prices, consumer prices in the shops. Uh, but of course, you've got the added issue of, uh, and of course, that, that's not even where the biggest issue is going to come. The biggest issue is going to come from food yeah. uh, because grain um, and, and a lot of maize and a lot of these sort of staples, uh, wheat, uh, have gone up massively. And, you know, obviously there's a, a good chunk of it coming out of Ukraine, but there's other supply issues around the world. Um, so we're, we're in line for 20% food inflation. Mm. Now, you know, you or I might just decide to carry on or eat something else or whatever, but lots of Africa and Asia, they're not going to be able to do that mm. um, because they can't afford to live, uh, they can't afford to eat. So, you know, people are going to die. Um, and, you know, on top of the fact that, you know, that's that's very sad, you know, that can create wars, you know, and, and, and create massive sort of dislocations yeah, and... and yeah, civil unrest, huge um, global issues, geopolitical issues. So I suspect that, that that's going to be one of the, the bigger issues into the latter part of mm. this year globally. Um, and who knows if the, I mean, Brent crude, you know, the oil prices start to come off a bit because traders expect there to be a, a global recession, even if it's just a shallow yeah. one. So I think Brent crude oil has, has dropped 30%. So you see the prices of the pumps are starting mm. to drift down a little mm. bit. Um, I'm not sure that gas is going to come off much. I mean, you know, obviously Russia shut down the main um, uh, pipeline to Germany yeah. and the Italians, you know, take a lot of that gas as well and some of the Eastern Europeans. Uh, and they're talking about it not starting again. Uh, they say it was for maintenance, but they're definitely throttling it oh, for yeah. political reasons. So... Um, you know, and an our gas, so gas is likely to go even higher. Mm. And our, our electricity prices in this country are wholly coupled to gas, yeah. the gas price. That, yeah. that is how it's calculated. Even though actually most of our energy isn't generated from gas, it comes from, um, you know, the, there's still a little bit of coal. There's, you know, there's, there's wind, there's, there's some solar, and, and obviously a large amount of nuclear. Mm. Uh, and the cost of those, um, power generation sources hasn't got anything like up by anything like the proportion that gas has but 
uh, the electricity price is linked to it. So they're trying to decouple that at the moment. Mm. But apparently it's fiendishly complicated to decouple the way the electricity price is calculated off the gas price. So they need to do that because it doesn't, it, it was fine when it was, gas was stable, but it, it just isn't anymore. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know what happens there. I guess going into this winter, the, the government will probably have to do something else. But, you know, as they say, they don't want to generate more inflation by just pumping more money in. But, mm. you know, if, if consumers have a lot less money in the second half, latter part of this year, that may do some of this job for them mm. uh, because they're going to be able to spend less on other products, which will naturally cap price yeah. increases in those other products. It doesn't help when sterling depreciates. I mean, we're 1.2 to the dollar now. You know, that just pushes the cost of imports up again. I mean, hopefully we're through all this now. But And implications on the property market, Mark? I mean, again, crystal ball, isn't it? Who knows? But um, <laughs> what, 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 what's your, what's your I suppose the, feeling? The best guess is it just goes soft. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if there's anything to, anything that will take the wind out of the sails of a property market um, or create a crash, it's interest rates. Yeah. Um, so clearly interest rates going up has a huge effect on monthly mortgage payments. Um, you know, and, and, and that, you know, at the least is, is likely to make things go soft. I, I think the early signs are maybe there at the moment, but they're not. Things are still selling and they're still probably going up. Um, but I, 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 I suspect as long as everything else remains the same, which it won't, mm -hmm. you know, because of course there's so many variables. Who knows what the oil price is going to be? Who knows what gas prices are going to be? All this other stuff that feeds in, then, you know, uh, largely they, 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 or they have a, a big effect on interest rates, which of course has a big effect on, on the property market. So who, who knows? And of course you, everyone was predicting early 2020, uh, the property market was going to fall off a cliff, but yeah. <laughs> then the government, just pumped a load of, you know, yeah. they spent 500 billion and, and sprayed it everywhere, which yeah. supported everything. Well, who knows what they're going to spend this winter? Yeah. You, you can't predict that stuff. Yeah, you don't even know who the prime minister is. I mean, you knew with Boris, he just sort of empty his pockets and just keep spending until maybe the <laughs> treasury came around and, and put his handcuffs on him, you know? Um, so I don't know, is it? I mean, apparently the clever money's on Liz Trust. I, I know she's not technically ahead at the moment, but... Um, you know, if you, you work out that uh, Rishi's not apparently going to get voted in by the Conservative members, then it's between her and uh, Penny Morden. And I don't know that the arithmetic maybe favours, you know, if, if Rishi isn't there, you know, then a lot of his people go behind Liz Truss, apparently. But who knows? That's uncertain. And, and they probably, I don't know, there's probably three different outcomes. You don't know what either of those three are going to do until they get in, because yeah. a lot of what they say and what they do will be different anyway. Uh, they probably don't even understand a lot of the issues and constraints, so they don't even probably know what a lot of their decisions will be. So there's so many uncertainties and so much going on. It's so difficult to make any sort of predictions. Just yeah. buy good stuff that yields well, that works. Um, don't over leverage. Keep plenty of cash back and diversify into other investments and just ride all this stuff. And then when, when it goes soft, when it starts to go wrong, then use it as a sort of big buying opportunity. Yeah. Lovely. You see, you led straight into the question of what would your advice be then to someone that was actually in property right now, which is uh, you've answered perfectly. Is it a good time for someone to get in for the first time, given that there might be a general nervousness around around a lot of this uncertainty? Yeah, but, but I mean, there's always something going on, isn't there? You yeah. Know, if, we, if we were, I don't know, 2000 and 
I'm trying to remember, section 24, was it maybe something around 15, mm. uh, or maybe 14? Um, you know, then we had Brexit 2016, then we have uh, a pandemic. Well, we, we had 2016 Brexit vote, but then we had all of the disruption yep. and uncertainty that was then caused by um, executing Brexit, um, you know, and then eventually voting Boris in to end all that nonsense. Um, you know, and then we have a pandemic in March 2020. Then we have a war, uh, you know, in, in February 22, uh, you know, on the same <laughs> continent, on the continent of Europe. And then, and then, you know, now we're talking about all these issues that come out the back of it and inflation and all the rest of it. So um, is there ever a perfect time to do this stuff? Not really. Oh, well, you, okay, you'd say before maybe Section 24. Well, fine, we went through a recession in 08. Um, you know, I, I reckon people were really nervous and, and scared about buying and banks not really lending and things didn't get grown properly around here till 2012, 2013. So then you had two years before the next issue. So yeah. there's always issues, aren't there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I know I'm 100% with you. I think yeah. you've just got to look at your own situation, your own circumstances, do your yeah. numbers. Like you say, if you can keep a little bit of a buffer so you're not exposing yourself too yeah. much, have multiple income streams, as you mentioned earlier. And then if a deal works, it works and crack yeah. on. If not, then maybe just wait for the next deal. There'll yeah. always be another deal, won't there? Yeah, there will. Um, so, yes, yeah, see, I've learned from you, Mark, as our mentor. You've taught us a lot. <laughs> so, last couple of questions, if you don't mind. Um, so, when you look back over all of the, you know, your illustrious career, business life, um, can you think of the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, don't wait to buy property. Buy property and wait. Is it, that, that's, uh, that's a very good one. Uh, um, a bad property deals like a haircut it'll always grow out um <laughs> but don't use that as an excuse to buy rubbish yeah um definitely not um you know i i think the most important bit of advice certainly with property is focus like hell on the cash flow focus on making sure the income stream and the yield is really really strong and um, so that if interest rates rise or there's a massive drop in the values it, it doesn't affect you mm. because capital growth will come and that you'll make more money out of that you'll probably get rich through the capital growth but actually it's the income stream and getting that mortgage paid and managing it correctly is what pays you the money every month that you can live on and doing it properly keeps you safe and if you don't do it properly that's when you lose your property portfolio so mm -hmm. um, focus like hell on high yielding strategies that create big income streams mm -hmm. income 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 it's yeah. so important yeah. yeah. Brilliant. No, that's excellent. Any bad advice that you've received that you've either sort of taken and thought, oh, bloody hell, I wish I hadn't done that, or you've ignored because it was just poor um, advice? Uh, there's, there's all sorts of stuff, isn't there? I mean, buying new builds um, is, you know, my perennial favourite. You know, they drop 15, 20%, um, you know, and I doubt the maintenance costs are that much less. So, you know, that you know, building a huge portfolio of new build property um, is um, a really bad idea. Um, <laughs> I still believe that. Um, I don't know, there's all sorts of stuff, isn't there? Um, <clears throat> Let me ask you a different question. Yeah. Um, so that's fine, because I think you've probably, you've got a good radar, so you probably filter out a lot of the rubbish anyway, and therefore, and therefore, my, you know. Well, these days, I, 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 I can 
sort of spot it and and therefore I just go like that and don't yeah. even uh, but there are obviously and and of course people around me sort of know that I, I just won't want to know so pro I'll probably get offered less stuff like that anyway yeah. um I, I tell you what I, I can think of a perfect one I've been quite interested in the crypto stuff mm. um <clears throat> you know and we've got mining units around which um not it's not like bitcoin mining but they sort of pick up a signal and then um you get mining rewards by generating these little wi-fi networks and all this sort of stuff and i've seen lots of people buy into this stuff um and invest in loads of different currencies and um buy quite frankly a load of rubbish because i remember this in sort of around 2000 um you know, I bought loads of dot-com stocks. Um, and, you know, at the back of that, you know, I, I, I lost my whole student loan. You know, and at the back of that, there was sort of Web 2.0. And maybe out of the 100 companies that you, you know, if you picked 100 companies, maybe two or three did spectacularly well. Yeah. And 90, 97 of them, well, 90 of them went bust and seven sort of just bumbled along. You know, and, um, you know, it's a bit like that with 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 this crypto space you know i've been quite interested so um but you know to, to me you know what i've learned so far is you know bitcoin seems pretty good um and ethereum i wouldn't put any more than five percent of my assets into it um a lot of the other stuff is just absolute horse manure do you know what i mean and but the, the rubbish that i'm you know hearing from various sources about you know, investing in why why it's such a good idea to invest in this stuff, and oh, we're just in the winter at the moment, and you know why you should borrow money on these assets, yeah. and why you should, you know, there is that area has got the biggest amount of horseshit in it that I than than I can think of, uh, you know, of any industry. But of course, you have to be uh, sort of alive enough to to filter because some of it is really good, and mm. I suspect out of this you'll get you know, a handful of currencies and, and certainly this blockchain that, yeah. that sits behind it, there'll be businesses that use that that are going to do amazingly well. And of course, it's filtering the good stuff from the bad stuff uh, and still remembering sort of you, 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 you sort of, I don't know, investment um, sort of first base principles. Um, you know, remember, there's no income stream, you know, which is all right. There's no income stream of gold. Um, but, you know, gold, you can, you know, put it on your finger and, you know, there's this bit, you know, there's lots of uses for it. Um, you know, with, uh, with crypto, you know, it, it's a very different thing. It doesn't mean to say it's worthless because it isn't. I don't buy into this thing that, you know, there's no intrinsic value. So there's no value to it. Um, but, um, yeah, you, you, you really need to sort of do a lot of research and, um, you know, ideas about borrowing huge amounts of money and this micro strategy guy who's put half his little massive chunk of his balance sheet mm -hmm. into it and all this. I, I, I just, I don't think it's a good idea at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's high voltage, uh, but there's, there will be some massive returns that come out of the back of it. Well, it's gambling to a certain extent, isn't it? But with like, you know, calculated <laughs> risk really, but looking at it and saying actually, it, well, yeah. how much am I prepared to put into something like that? Am I prepared to lose it if it all goes belly I up? I think you need not? to, you need to be and in that space. Is, oh, I can live with that, yeah. then fine. Then it's okay, if not, yeah. Careful. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. So when you um, when you think about people that have influenced you, obviously early early influencers with sort yeah. of like parents of, from school and what have you, other other kids and yeah. your own father and and yeah. family and what have you. Anyone else that stands out apart from when you can't say Rob? <laughs> um, 
I mean, I used to watch Andreas Paniotti because he, I think he probably got to about 8,000 flats, which he, he bought buildings, converted them and, and then uh, kept them and, and rented them out. And I just loved watching his model. Mm. You know, that was brilliant. Um, I, I watch Warren Buffett a lot, but probably Charlie Munger even more. I really enjoy uh, watching his stuff online, his videos uh, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, getting more into Ray Dalio, I find him really interesting. He's incredibly smart, just mm. like Ch Charlie Munger, more than Warren, probably tells it how it is. War Warren's obviously equally smart, but there's a bit more PR in what he says, whereas yeah. Charlie, you often just get the bare bones, which I quite like. Um, so, yeah, I'm watching those sort of um, quite a lot at the moment. I quite enjoy, yeah, those, yeah, those two probably, yeah, the most, yeah. Great stuff. And um, if you had your time again, anything you'd do differently? I'd just probably do it the same way. I mean, all right, I'd cut out the overseas, the off plan and all that sort of stuff, but I'd go and buy those little terraced houses and I'd do loads of them and I'd do the developments and I'd do this training business and um, I'd do most of it because that's what I know how to do. Yeah, so no regrets. Yeah. That's a good position to be in, isn't it? To think, you know, Archie, I've done all right. <laughs> yeah. Regrets. Well, you, I, I don't know, you, you sort of decide whether you're going to live in regret, don't you? Or, or whether you're going to sort of say, well, no, I made that decision. The decision was, you know, the right, making a decision was the right thing to do because I moved forward. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? And you've got to be in that space where you, you, you constantly make decisions and making the decision is, is the right thing to do rather than relying on whether it's the right or the wrong decision. Yeah. Um, because you, 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 then if you make the wrong decision, you just fix it much quicker and get to the place you want to be. So, you know, for me, uh, not living, not having regrets and not living in that place of regret, um, you know, is, is a benefit. Of course, you know, I wish I'd worked out 10 years before, you know, more about myself and sleep. And, you know, maybe I started exercising when I was when I met Rob. He got me running and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. I wish... Yeah, I wish I'd worked harder at school and all that sort of stuff. But no, since I've been in business, I, I do, yeah, I'm I'm pretty pretty happy, and um, you know, I just 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 keep yeah, just keep cracking on. Fantastic, yeah. that's great. So, that very last question. This podcast called Brave Bold Brilliant, as you know. What does that mean to you, Mark? <laughs> what does that mean to me? So, um, brave. I, I suppose uh, brave is about taking risks, uh, calculated risks in business. And I think lots and lots of people don't. Uh, they, they, Rob, Rob has a brilliant saying: uh, if, 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 um, if you, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. And I think that is so true. Um, you know, when I met my now wife, she used to say, oh, "Isn't buying a property a risk?" Or oh, isn't? And I'd sort of sit there and go, "Well, you've bought it. You." you own it your money's probably safer than in the bank um and you know it's creating this income stream surely a bigger risk is you leaving it in the bank and not having a big enough pension when you get to 55 60. Mm. um so i think a lot of people live in this place of uh, i don't want to take any risk but actually they're taking bigger risks with their life yeah. uh, by not changing their mindset changing what they do and sort of developing themselves so mm. um yeah, I think being bold is definitely uh, linked to that. I think you, you maybe take a few early risks and reduce your risk profile over over time. Um, yeah, brave and bold, I suppose that's, <laughs> that's, that's scale, isn't it? Just, just 
just nailing in there and, and just saying that's what we're going to do, deciding that's what we're going to do, cutting out all other options, making the, the French, you know, de the decision um, so that, you know, that because that then creates the biggest success. And as long as you've got scale and you do lots of it, mm -hmm. you'll probably have lots of success and you'll use your time better. Uh, and brilliant. Well, you know, if you can focus on brilliance in anything that you do and make sure that you're the best at it. So you create the best business in a space. You're the best at buying uh, terraced houses or you're the best at buying properties to convert or you're the best at building that stuff. Then you're far more likely to beat the competition, make more money and be successful. What a way to finish. The perfect answer. Thank you, Mark. You've been fabulous. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, Danette. Thank you. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.